Welcome to Care to Lead, Your Path to Leadership Success, brought to you by the Vizient Nurse Executives Network. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Barbara Seymour, Associate Vice President of Member Connections at Vizient, and I'm especially excited to welcome today's guest and one of my former professors, Dr. Christopher Blackwell, Associate Professor and Director of the Adult Gerontology Acute Care Nurse Practitioner Graduate Program at the University of Central Florida College of Nursing. Dr. Blackwell is a national expert on lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer health, and his scholarship focuses on health and social policy disparities in LGBTQ persons. In addition to his faculty appointment, Dr. Blackwell maintains his clinical practice in pulmonary and critical care and serves as a commissioner on the National League for Nursing Certification Board. Welcome, Dr. Blackwell. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here, and please call me Chris. Oh, thank you. Chris, I know both your students and your patients appreciate your ongoing commitment to clinical work as you also teach at UCF and a big go nights to you. Yes, absolutely. Charge on. Yes, especially as we're getting ready to get into football season. Tell us about your current role as both an educator and a clinician and how your practice evolved to where it is today. Sure, absolutely. So I direct the Adult Gerontology Acute Care NP program at UCF, just like you mentioned in your introduction. And this has been a long meandering path in academia for me to get to this point. I have always thought that I would work in academia ever since I started graduate school working on my master's as a nurse practitioner. My initial nurse practitioner education was as an adult nurse practitioner, and I went right here at UCF to do that. And something bit me when I was working on my master's degree that was on the academic bug that really made me think, you know, I think I want to go into education. I really love teaching. I love writing. I love doing research. And so I thought, well, you know, I think I'm going to go that route. And so even though I still wanted to be a clinician and I still wanted to maintain my clinical practice, I definitely got an interest in working towards becoming a professor. And so when I got through with my master's degree in 2000, I had an amazing mentor and she said, Chris, don't stop. She said, whatever you do, don't stop. Keep going. Go for your doctorate. And so I really was thinking maybe I'd get a clinical doctorate or maybe a doctorate of education. And she pushed me towards getting a PhD. I'm glad she did because the education I got was very complementary to my nursing education. And my PhD is actually not in nursing. My PhD is in public affairs. And then I have a specialty in health. So I was able to take a lot of what I would call public health oriented courses that really teed me up towards where my career eventually would lead to and my research and my area of science in nursing. And it was a wonderful compliment for that. When I first graduated as a nurse practitioner in 2001, I took a job working in infectious disease and I loved it. It was an amazing specialty. I got to work both in the hospital setting in the afternoons and in the mornings. I got to work in our clinic. I got to help manage our HIV clinic that we had. We had a really robust outpatient HIV clinic. So I really learned a lot about managing patients who were living with HIV. And then I also got to go in the hospital and manage these very sick, highly acute, oftentimes critical patients who were septic or who had major wounds or tuberculosis or what have you. And it was an amazing experience to be able to get both the outpatient 
and the inpatient experience. And then as I went on for my PhD and completed that education and went into academia, I had to step down from my full-time job as a nurse practitioner working in the infectious disease area. And it just so happens, this is crazy, right? How people come into your lives. There was a pulmonologist who I worked with at the hospital I was working at. And he said, hey, Chris, do you, do you still want to maintain your clinical practice? I know you're going to become a professor. And I said, yeah, I said, I would. And he says, well, I'm looking for an NP to work on the weekends. And this was in December of 2003. Right. And here we are all the way into almost 2023. And I have been with that same pulmonary care, critical care practice ever since. I do that every other weekend at one hospital. And then I also work one evening a week at two skilled nursing facilities. And it's funny, I never thought in a million years I'd enjoy working in a long term care setting. And I absolutely love it because I get to see myself make a difference. Right. In the hospital, especially on the weekends, because I'm a full time academic, I only get the the opportunity to see patients over that two days that I'm there versus in the long-term care facility, I'm taking care of these people every week and I get to see them get better or in some cases they're terminal and I get to help their families with their transition to death. And it's been a real honor to do that. But at UCF, I direct our acute care program. I'm very proud of our program. We are educating doctorally prepared nurse practitioners to manage hospitalized patients in all acuity levels from the emergency through the intensive care unit. And we're proud of our program. We have a 100% pass rate and we've worked hard. But that's kind of how I got to where I'm at right now. You've got such a wide variety of experiences and education, but I'd love to hear why you chose nursing. The reason I went into it is interesting. My mom is a nurse and my God bless her. She is uh, 77 years old now. She still maintains her nursing license, although she's retired. I help her do her continuing education book every year. We order a book and I go through it with her and show her how to do her continuing ed. And I report it through the CE broker that they use here in Florida for that. And so my mom was really instrumental in pushing me towards nursing. The interesting thing is I wanted to be a nurse anesthetist. That was the whole reason why I went into nursing is because my my mom used to get this magazine called The Nursing Spectrum. I don't even know if it's in print anymore, to be honest, to be honest with you. <laughs> but it was a cool little magazine and it, it was all about nursing. And one day I picked it up and was just really fascinated by this article that I read about nurse anesthetists. And I thought, you know, I think that's what I want to do. I think I want to go into surgery and work in the anesthesiology. And so I kind of thought, well, that's what I'll do. So I finished high school and I always was a nursing major from day one. I moved to Orlando. I grew up over in the Clearwater area of Florida and I moved to Orlando to go to UCF and was a nursing major. I did some volunteer work as a sophomore before I got into the nursing program in the emergency department, and I fell in love with that. And then got into the nursing program, and my first semester in nursing school, we did our labor and delivery rotation. And I helped a nurse anesthetist do an epidural on a patient. I had her in a headlock. She was screaming. <laughs> we were pushing this needle into her back. And he's trying to teach me at the same time that he's doing this. She's screaming, I'm crowning. The baby's coming. I'm crowning. <laughs> and sure enough, she wasn't lying. The baby was coming. And I grabbed the nurse. And next thing I knew, we were helping to deliver this baby. And the nurse anesthetist was gone. And I thought, oh, gosh, I don't know if I want to stick needles in people's back and have such a brief patient encounter. And I'm not degrading nurse anesthetists because I know that they do a heck of a lot more than that. And I have a ton of respect for CRNAs. But something spoke to me during that experience, Barbara. And I said, I don't think I want to be a nurse anesthetist. So now what do I do? <laughs> 
because I've gone <laughs> all these courses and prerequisites and all this hard work to get into this BSN program. And so I met with this mentor who I've talked about. Her name is Dr. Ermelyn Keel, and she has been absolutely instrumental in every step of my career and in my life. And she's a nurse practitioner. And she said, well, Chris, why don't you go become a nurse practitioner? She said, that was what I did, and I really enjoyed it, and I think you would too. Okay, that was my next goal. I'm going to become a nurse practitioner. So I went right through it. I did not stop. I got my BSN, and I worked full-time as an emergency nurse. Absolutely loved it. Worked in a very large emergency department downtown here in Orlando and learned so much from some truly wonderful colleagues. I remember the day I left that emergency room because I got hired in that ID practice. I cried because it was like I was leaving my family of two years that I had worked with in the trenches, and I just absolutely loved them. But you know what? You have these transitions in your career, and they're all good. I'm not saying that sometimes people don't regret things that they do. But for me, somebody has definitely been on my side and really helped me get through these decisions. And luckily for me, it's all really worked out well. And like I said, I am so grateful every day. And I thank God every day that I went into this amazing profession because there's not a day I regret it. That's awesome. And, you know, Chris, it's brought you to a place where you continue to do research and author work that positively impacts healthcare for some of our most vulnerable populations. I'm curious, do you see any parallels of these social disparities in our profession of nursing? And how has that shaped your work as an educator? Absolutely. In fact, one of the reasons why I decided to go into this area of science, looking at LGBTQ health, was because of some personal experiences I had had as a nurse practitioner. You know, obviously working in infectious disease, working in HIV, a lot of my patients were gay men. We still see major social disparities, major health disparities. And looking at all of the incidence data in the United States, the, the number one driver of HIV the infection in this country is still within the gay and bisexual male population. And so I got to see firsthand clinically what was happening. But then I also saw some things that I did not like professionally. I had some interactions with nurses and other healthcare providers, physicians even, where I saw discriminatory behavior levied towards some of these individuals that I was really working hard to take care of. And in fact, we made it a point when we did our histories and physicals and our consults in the hospital, we would purposely leave out the question of where do you think you got HIV or, or tell us about your sexual behaviors. We would leave that out because we were afraid that people would read our consult notes and treat these people differently because they were gay. And I saw that firsthand. I saw some really awful behaviors. And so I thought, you know, I think I want to study this. I think I want to look into what our profession is made up of in terms of these attitudes and these beliefs. And so when I got to my PhD, everything I did in my doctoral program was about LGBTQ health and how discrimination and how social disparities all play a major role in these disease processes that we see like HIV, like anal rectal carcinoma, like gynecologic malignancies that we see in lesbians, for example. I mean, there was just a lot of things that I learned and it all goes back to what I saw in our own profession that really upset me and kind of disgusted me a little bit that made me think I want to go into this area of science. My dissertation 
looked at a large sample of registered nurses in the state of Florida, and I administered what was called the ATLG scale, the Attitudes Towards Lesbian and Gay Men scale. It's an instrument, a survey instrument, and I send it randomly. These were the days, by the way, that was before, I'm showing my age here, but this is before we had computer-based surveys. And so, <laughs> yeah, I was up, you know, stuffing envelopes until four or five o'clock in the morning, and I remember them stacked up to the ceiling in my house at the time and manually mailing all this stuff out and hoping I would get a good response. And luckily, I did get a good response. And I was able to actually objectively measure not only the ATLG scores of these people, which measured their amount of homophobia or how much dislike they had for gay people, but I also built in other survey elements that were specific questions about, for example, as a nurse, would you be opposed to discriminating against another nurse in hiring, firing, and promotion decisions because that person was gay? Or do you believe that being gay is a lifestyle choice? Or do you believe it's a genetically predetermined trait? And those types of questions really helped me analyze what was clicking in these nurses' heads and what were they thinking about gay people? And it was interesting. And, and luckily, the research findings I had showed that the vast majority of nurses, and this is back in 2005, so this is still quite some time ago, but in 2005, the amount of homophobia that were in the nurses was very low. And that was reassuring that maybe some of these things that I had seen personally working at the bedside as a nurse practitioner were more anecdotal. But I remember some of the participants in the study had handwritten comments that were quite hateful. But then there were others that wrote very positive things. Well, I remember one of the nurses said, hey, I'm from England, and this is not even a consideration in England. And then I moved to Florida, and I can't believe some of the things that I've seen here. And it's like, wow. So I had some really interesting findings, and that really kind of launched my research career. One of my last big studies that I did, and I'm actually working on an update right now, but one of the biggest things I did is I wanted to look at magnet status, right? If you're not familiar, if you're listening in another country and you're not familiar with magnet status, is the American Nurses Credentialing Center bestows magnet recognition on healthcare organizations that meet a very high level of nursing excellence in their organization. And there's another organization out there called the Human Rights Campaign, and they every year do a a study, then they author a booklet called the Healthcare Equality Index or the HEI, and they rate healthcare organizations basically on how they treat their gay workers and how they treat their gay patients. And I wanted to see if there was a relationship statistically between being a magnet status hospital and how these organizations scored on that HEI. And I did a really awesome. Well, I think it was awesome, but you know, <laughs> of course, but I looked at whether or not there was a statistical relationship that existed between those two things. And there was, and it was really cool to be able to show that these organizations that strived for nursing excellence also had really good service provisions for their LGBTQ patients and colleagues, which includes nurses. So it was really, really cool. And my career in my research has really paralleled that. And I've tried hard to always go back, even though I've looked at vaccines and I've looked at HIV prevention and behaviors in gay men and other high-risk populations with reducing HIV risk and all those types of things. I've tried to always kind of fall back and every once in a while do something related to our profession, looking specifically at where is the climate for homophobia and how gay people and LGBTQ people are treated within our profession here in the United States. And what we're seeing is really promising. I mean, there are some setbacks, but I think that overall what we're seeing is our profession has really embraced diversity and embraced 
erased the importance of having a diverse workforce and making sure that our professional organizations like ANA, when I first went into this work, ANA, their language and their code of ethics was completely devoid of LGBTQ. There was nothing in there about discrimination against sexual minorities. Now you go in and you look at their interpretive statements and LGBTQ is everywhere. It is specifically mentioned countless times in the documents. And so we have really evolved as a profession and it has been amazing to see that and to be one of the few nurse scientists out there to really study it because, you know, Barbara, no one really looks at this and there's not a lot of researchers that are interested in this area. I've been lucky that I've been able to be one of the pioneers to be able to do this stuff. It's pretty incredible that you have been able to do such extensive work to understand and really reduce that discrimination among professional nurses. I'd be curious to know, what's the biggest thing you've had to overcome while pursuing your research and really being a leader in nursing? There is always going to be, and I was in band from fourth grade all the way through my undergrad, actually, all four years of my BSN, I was a marching knight here at UCF, which probably explains why I bleed black and gold, you know, and I had an amazing music teacher. And just like Dr. Keel, who made a huge impact on my career, Mr. Kevin Ford, my band director from high school, and he made a huge impact in my life as well. I'll never forget him saying, when you're really good at something, right, you're always going to have people out there who are going to be detractors. There's always going to be somebody out there that's going to be jealous or that's going to, for whatever reason, want to tear you down and not be your friend. Not everybody is your friend. And so (laughs) I learned that and I think it paid off because in this area of research, even clinical practice, working with stigmatized populations, and we'll just use the LGBTQ example, there is still a lot of bigotry. There's still a lot of discrimination that's shown against that population. And so when all of a sudden you come in and you say, I want to do research on this, there are people out there that doubt your validity as a scientist. And they'd say, well, you know, you're looking at sexual behaviors or you're looking at stigmatized things. And so it's an area that often carries with it some weight. We just developed a podcast that was designed to teach sexual and reproductive health, and we got a grant to do the podcast, and it's been a really successful podcast. But we were targeted by right-wing groups that found out about the podcast before it even really was released. And all of a sudden, we're having to deal with university officials, and we're having to deal with people that are trying to misrepresent what we're trying to do. And so you have to learn how to kind of ignore those folks and just keep on persisting. I think in life that's true with so many different things. And you just have to put all of that aside and say, no, I've got to do this for the greater good. I've got to do this because I want to make a difference in people's lives. You know, at the end of my life, when I'm on my deathbed, I want to look back and say, gosh, darn it, I really made a difference here. I wrote articles that taught clinicians how to screen people who are gay for depression so that those people don't go on to commit suicide because gay people, gay teens especially, make up the number one group of people in the United States that commit suicide. I want to look back on my life and say I made a difference. And I think right now I feel like I have. I've been blessed to be able to do that. And I think it also makes a difference in in where you work, Barbara, because I've been blessed at UCF that my work here has been supported. I've never had a dean here or I've never had a coworker here that has said, Chris, don't do that. This is not good. This is something you want to avoid. This is something that's controversial. No, I've had autonomy here. In fact, 
I've had the opposite. I've had people say, good for you. Go out and do it. Look at these things because if you don't do it, nobody else will. I'm glad that I've been able to move ahead and do some of the things that I've been able to do. Chris, I love hearing about how you've overcome those things, but also wrapped up in there some great advice for our listeners today as they pursue their passion in nursing. And I really appreciate you sharing your story and leadership insights. It's been a pleasure to have you today. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. If anybody that's listening wants to get in touch with me, they're more than welcome to. My email address is christopher.blackwell at ucf.edu. I love helping mentor people. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, it's just an email away. I can attest to that. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed today's discussion, please subscribe to hear more Care to Lead podcasts. Like us and send us your comments. Care to Lead is your path to success and is brought to you by the Vizient Nurse Executives Network. I'm Barbara Seymour. Have a great day.